Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage in person at the Royal Festival Hall here at the South Bank Centre. We're overlooking the Friday market at the moment. I know it's a favourite of many of the musicians for their lunch. It's only taken a year to record our first episode here at home. Well, I'm joined today by tuba player Lee Tarmarklis, contrabassoonist Simon Estelle and violinist Lasma Taimina. It's great to be here with you around this table. Lovely. Great to be here. Well, today we're here talking about audiences, but from the perspective of the orchestra, who are their favourite audiences and how do audiences vary from place to place? So, Lee, let me start with you. What do you think makes a good audience? Oh, what makes a good audience? Right. I suppose a large audience is always nice to see from a player's perspective. A fairly quiet audience, although, you know, that's not necessarily always best. Mm. It's nice to see reactions to modern pieces or challenging repertoire or weird sounds from an audience. And Lasma, I mean, for you, when you're on stage, are you looking at the audience? Are you aware of them when you're into the music? I am aware. I'm trying not to look because if I can see them, it means they can see me and I don't want anyone to feel that I'm staring at them. But sometimes I really feel I would like to. The concert on Wednesday, there was somebody who was obviously very sleepy and tired after a long day and he fell asleep and he was snoring throughout the whole uh, cello concerto. And I really wanted to look at him, but it was just somewhere on my side and I felt very bad about just even trying. So I didn't. But there was definitely a person snoring very loudly and all the first violins noticed that. Simon, have you had this experience of being distracted by the audience at all? Oh, absolutely. I think Lasma's probably got a few more notes to play than I do. So I definitely find myself trying to engage with the audience as much as possible. When I'm Certainly when I'm walking on, walking off, and actually during the concert as well. I wasn't in some of the movements the other night. And I, I, I just love looking around and seeing... The different ages, the different cultures that everybody, you know, everything we do is for them, you know, for we're in the entertainment business and it's all about the audience, really. Invariably, when I walk on with the contra, people sort of point and I can't help but look back at them and sort of go, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'd love to just stop and just say, you know, for five, ten seconds, it's a contra bassoon. I know you're thinking it, so I, I can see it, but, you know, it's a contra bassoon, you know. And sort of engage them and make it more humane somehow than bring us closer to them, them closer to us. Because I've been to concerts before with other orchestras playing as as an audience member. And there are times when it's just sort of like machines walking on, playing and sort of walking off again. I want that eye contact with somebody or to see that somebody's forgotten their glasses or somebody's forgotten their socks and they're wearing Paddington bear socks or something. You know, I, I think it's fantastic when really that sort of thing that. happens. I so. love that you're looking into the audience and observing them, taking them in. It's really, really nice. And there's a story for everyone as to how they all got here to that moment when you're going to share music together. I mean, what do you think the relationship should be between an orchestra and their audience, Lee? Um, and is there a point where that relationship gets heightened during the concert? I think, well, we play for the audience, You know, if they went there, we wouldn't be there. Actually, ultimately, we only exist because of the audience. That's the whole purpose of the orchestra, is to play music and to make people feel good or feel sad or feel happy or, you know, bring a lot of joy to a lot of people, hopefully. 
I sit right at the back. So we have audience almost breathing down our necks. And before the festival hall was redone, the choir stalls were much lower down. So literally, you were more or less the same height as the audience who can touch your shoulder. No. But we're very fortunate in the London Philharmonic because at the back there in the choir stalls, we have people that have been coming for years sitting in the same seats. We're on first-name terms with a lot of them. In fact, my eldest daughter is at Cardiff University and she's become best friends with a lady that sits behind me in the London Philharmonic I love in the choir stores and they're going to share a house together. Wow. <laughs> and she said, oh, we know who your dad is. We, we, we go and watch him. My mum goes and watches him every week. <laughs> Look so at that's that. A little bit social of, uh, media? <laughs> it's a little bit of personal touch. Well, that is it. I mean, you make a good point there in terms of the Royal Festival Hall, that the fact that audience can sit all around. Yeah. So whereas usually someone that sits at the back of the orchestra would feel quite removed from the orchestra, I guess with the Royal Festival Hall, you actually are, they're part of the family, if you like. I mean, is there an added distraction from them, though? Because I don't know, psychologically, if the audience knows they're behind you, do they chit-chatter more or is it... No, I actually think it's, I think it's really interesting... At first, I think when I was younger, it used to bother me a bit because, you know, you couldn't really sort of relax with somebody. And a lot of them, some students come with scores, you know, and and they can look over your part and you think, well, but actually, eventually you realise you just had to do your job. And it doesn't matter who's, you know, how close they are or where they are in the hall, as long as they're there. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't really matter. And, and you know, sometimes you play with a bit more swagger if they're quite close, show off a bit. If, if you can. <laughs> Before we get to the type of audiences that you play to, Lesma, I wanted to ask, what does an audience contribute to the concert? I mean, the orchestra is rehearsed and we've learned about, you know, the rehearsals, how you have to sort out the bowing and meeting the conductor and you finally get to the point of the concert. What do they add that's different to your rehearsal times? So firstly, it feels very different that when you are on the stage and you know that there are a couple of thousands of people looking at you, listening in silence, waiting for something to happen, some magic to happen. And it definitely feels very, very, very special because you you feel like something is going to happen. Either you make impression on them, good or bad, or they are going to start getting distracted or something. But it's entirely in your hands and composer's hands, obviously, because even if you do your best, some pieces are just not interesting enough for the audience to keep attention but yes, I do remember playing in Germany just recently, the Sibelius Symphony, and perfect silence in the audience, perfect attention, just just beautiful experience because you know that they are open to any, everything you are doing and you are showing to them. And Lasma, there's this moment at the end of a concert, or at the end of a, a piece, where there's almost, the moment is held, you know, the, the applause doesn't come straight away. There's a magical little finite moment does every audience give you that or does some sort of not observe it? No, 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 not at all. I mean, it also depends on the conductor. Each kind of finger movement is observed by the audience. So if you let your hands down too soon, they will react. But sometimes you just can't hold them back. And there is a bravo or, or clapping coming in e- immediately after the last note. But then also depends on the piece. When I was at the Royal College of Music, we did play Mahler's Ninth Symphony. And I think we had a whole minute of complete silence after that. Conductor didn't move, nobody moved, the audience didn't move. It was just silence, one minute. Then the conductor reacted and he, 
he moved a tiny bit and the audience just went in with bravos. It, it can happen. It depends. Oh, or that must have been an experience. It can also happen that, unfortunately, right after the last note, there is a mobile phone coming. <laughs> well, you've brought in the mobile phones. I have to go there. I mean, I would have loved to have been there for that silence. That must have been magical. Lee, you must have heard a few mobile phones in your time though, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you think this happens? I remember in, in, uh, in China, on tour in China, and this is going back quite a few years, 20 years, and the Chinese audience, not any fault of their own, it's just new experience to go to a you know, Western classical music concert. You know, some of them would eat their dinner through the concert. They would answer the phone. No, the phone would go off. But then they would actually answer the phone uh-huh. and have a little chat and then turn it off and then another phone would go off. But to be honest with you, personally speaking, I'm not speaking for any, just from my point of view, is this an audience? It doesn't matter because they're there and we come, without them, we wouldn't be there. So I do think sometimes we can get a bit precious with this. So, um, what's your take? You're not well, nodding. I was, I, was, I, I was just itching to just get in there. I think, you know, you're, you're playing, you know, Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, you know, and it's beautiful flowing lines, and then you get... Does kind of ruin it. As opposed to getting a text where you get a beep, beep, you know, but when you when you actually get, you know... The Nokia, the infamous Nokia. It's the worst melody now out there because of... But it's always the worst melody. When it happens, it's always the worst one. But going back to the China thing that Lee was talking about, I think it was China and Korea, was it, that we went to. The staff that were the stewards and, and what have you were absolutely vigilant. If anyone was holding their phone up to take photos, they had these sort of red laser, the, the laser pens. And they would flash it all over the, the phone or the camera to prevent you from taking a photo. I love that. And it's, it's sort of, a, blimey, it's like a prison sentence. You know, sit be... down and you will listen to Tchaikovsky 4. Do <laughs> you remember they had those boards? Yeah. They had these boards, like placards, oh. you know, that you see in demonstrations. And they would march up and down the aisles with a picture of a mobile phone across. Wow, yeah. well, this is a good one. But, but yeah. during the concert, as well as before the concert... Sometimes people do genuinely forget, you know, but sometimes you feel, especially for the demographic that goes to orchestral concerts, sometimes they don't know how or they, yeah. they you know, they're all fingers and thumbs and trying to get their coat off and find their seat at the same time. It's but it's, a lot a, it's the cinema thing, isn't it? You go to the cinema and somebody's, you know, there with a packet of crisps and, you know, it sort of. This does sort of take away from everyone else. You know, I do remember my first time in China with LPO. It was maybe 2016, 17, something. At the time, I was a second violin extra, so I would be facing the audience, actually sitting in, a, in front of a conductor, so facing the audience. I was so distracted that I don't even remember which Sibelius symphony we played because I just couldn't stop staring at the audience. The things they were doing were absolutely unbelievable. They're moving, walking, talking, whispering, using mobile phones, taking off their coats or putting them on or, you know, all the time, some kind of movement from almost everyone in the hall, not just a few kind of rowdy teenagers, but, you know, everyone. So don't even remember what we played there. I just had to look at them all the time. (laughs) So am I getting a a general feeling that sort of a more informal way of of hearing a concert may not be the right way, you know, bring your food and drink in. No, no you know, we, we, we did a concert once, I remember in Abu Dhabi, 
where they actually were selling popcorn and turkey hot dogs for the audience to go into the hall to watch the show because yeah. obviously they just wanted to see the show and that's what you do when you go and see a show you take your popcorn in and you're and i remember sitting there watching these amazingly dressed people just sitting there having turkey hot dogs and popcorn while listening to Chike Six. Well, I think it should be one rule for them and one rule for us. And we should be allowed to have a hot dog. <laughs> exactly. on yeah, when you've got a 16-bar break yeah. again. I was going to say, yeah, fantastic this movement. <laughs> I think I want to turn my tuber into a popcorn machine. Make some money on the side. <laughs> so I guess there is something about the style of music that's being played, the history that comes with it, that really it just needs that reverence, that silence, that respect to let it breathe. Is that what I'm hearing? I think we want, everybody wants the audience to be there and relaxed and to enjoy it. it the, the last thing we want is for it to be really sort of formal, sit down, don't move, don't make any gesture or, or whatever. I mean, Lee was saying, you know, the human beings, we can't help but sneeze every so often. It, it doesn't ruin the concert if that happens. But I guess it is just a respect thing for everybody out there within the audience that they just can hopefully just sit there and I suppose quietly enjoy it but I do remember playing just in October I think the Berlioz Symphony Fantastique and we had this very excited audience they would just start clapping and shouting bravos after every movement and you know nowadays you're not supposed to kind of clap after movements but you know there was time when Brahms lived and when Brahms lived and nobody clapped after the first moment of his new piano concerto he got offended because that's that was a bad sign so I have to say I have a natural reaction to clap after movements I have to stop myself why can't we clap after movements Lee I don't know I think it's a sort of trend really yeah. as 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 uh as I said, you know, years ago you probably could. In some countries you still probably can. I don't know. I, I don't know why. I think you it's know. creeping in more now. I'm going to lead the revolution. Uh, yeah. Because if you find me. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, I wanted to say something before I forget. I've got some Shostakovich recordings. Recordings of Shostakovich with Mavrinsky conducting the Leningrad from 1950s. And they're live recordings, and the audience is so loud, but it's actually brilliant to listen to because you feel as if you're at the concert. Yes. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this. I said, when we were students, I said, have you heard these recordings? I mean, the audience is so loud. And he said, yes, you can hear them smoking. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was quite funny. It does make you believe that it's live, you know. Yeah, why not? You're there. Yeah, you're there. Why not? I mean, you do do a series of more relaxed concerts, if I can call them that, some for school children, for families. What's the difference in those concerts, Simon? We did some schools concerts and, of course, the noise is sort of through the roof, really. I mean, you know, bless the teachers for trying to sort of get them to sit quietly. But, you know, we know it's not going to be like that. And it's great because they're kids and they're, they're whatever age they are, eight, ten, whatever... And they're lively and they've all got their high-vis things on, so the lights go down and then all their high-vis things come up, sort of, you know, and it's hilarious. But I walked on stage and, as I said, when you walk on, I want to sort of engage with them a bit, so I just gave a bit of a wave to some of them and they all waved back. And then the next block over waved at me because they wanted a wave and it just completely snowballed and escalated. So I had the whole festival hall pretty much waving at me. So I've got my hands up in the air and go, yeah. And then I sort of applauded them. So they started clapping back. So in the end, I was sort of, clap. 
clap, 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 getting faster and faster and faster. And then when it got so fast, they just, I mean, it was unbelievably loud when I they screamed. I remember that when I came on the stage, you, you've been there for a while already. When I yeah. came on, it felt as if I'm entering a rock concert. Yeah. Yes. Definitely all the shouting and clapping and, you know, you know, impressive, absolutely impressive. It was brilliant. Kind of your achievement, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I just think, I mean, that that for me is what it's about. If they go back to the schools and the classrooms and whatever and they talk about it and they say, oh, it was amazing, you know, we did this, because obviously then they get involved with songs through the actual concert and they were were basically impeccably well-behaved through the the thing. But, you know, beforehand it was, yeah, it was like being at a Queen concert, you know. It is, really. I've been to a school's concert and... It really does feel like you are the rock stars and you are, you are the rock stars. You're going to be performing this amazing music. Oh, yes, Lee, you are. You know, and the children really do embrace that. It's interesting that that behaviour would have to change when they start becoming regular concert goers. You know, in the, in the same concert, the son of the leader of the day, he came in the middle of concert and gave his daddy a blueberry in the middle of a concert. And the daddy <laughs> took the blueberry and ate it and then we continued playing, so... <laughs> I love that. Well, I could bring you snacks, Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe I'll time. try and get the audience going before the Sibelius tomorrow. <laughs> and, then, and then what about the distinction between playing in the concert hall to then playing in the opera at Glyndebourne or playing in the proms? Do the audiences react in a different way in those, in those three situations? Within the pit down at Glyndebourne, certainly where, where I sit, which is, a, you know, is a much more confined space but we're sort of pretty much at the back and you can only really see a, a small percentage of the opera house audience anyway the front row is always quite amusing you start placing bets on who's going to fall asleep first um four from the left no i'm going three from the right and it generally happens yeah, we don't really see so much of, of them. But, of course, then the crazy thing is in the long intervals that we get, we go and walk around the gardens and then we're very much part of the audience and we're the ones dressed in sort of DJs and whatever exactly as they are. Yeah. We just sort of merge into their participation as well. But I get to interact with the Glandwin audience always while, when waiting for the train because they always ch- get to the same train at some point that we are waiting already. So I've had some... Quite a few conversations there on the platform waiting. And I guess that's a, another responsibility, being a musician in the orchestra. I mean, you hear so much about when the concert's finished, you're finished, you know, you're going to go to the pub and you're done. But actually, if an audience member comes to you, do you feel a responsibility to help them, enlighten them anymore into the performance they've seen or life as a musician in the orchestra? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually really nice when somebody takes time to come up and either say what they thought of the concert or the particular piece or, you know, it's really nice to have that interaction. Yeah. Just going back to the opera thing, opera and, and symphony audiences, I mean, in the old days, especially in Italian opera houses, audiences were notorious for for just shouting what they thought. If an aria of somebody was a bit uh, out of tune or, uh, you know, one of the singers, they would just shout rubbish. Yeah. you know, boo them off the stage. And uh, it did happen at Glyndebourne once. Somebody was booed straight after a, a, an aria. I can't remember what he was. I think he might have been some birdie that Vladimir was conducting. You know, so the opera audiences can be quite ruthless. What was the reaction of the orchestra when that happened? Nothing, because you 
still got another 365 <laughs> pages of music to play. <laughs> wow. Or three. Um, uh, <laughs> but very often those things happen so fast that you don't actually understand what's gone on yeah. or what's yeah. happened. I mean, again, we heard about these stories sort of later on, maybe on the train on the way home, you know, as Lasma says, but there's one person who was shouting out at Glyndebourne and apparently they were saying, I can't see because they had a restricted view ticket or something and something was going on. So they were obviously making a bit of a scene about that. We had one rubbish at the Festival Hall. We did a Bruckner Four and uh, three or four minutes into the symphony, a member of the audience just started shouting, wrong speed, at the top of his voice, wrong speed, wrong speed. And he kept walking towards the door as if to leave, still talking and shouting about how bad it was and, and how rubbish it was. No, I mean, there are levels to to this. I mean, (laughs) that's a little bit too much, isn't it? When you've been on tour, what are some of the differences you've seen with the audiences in different countries? And does it become a cultural change that you notice as you're going around the world, Lasma? In Germany, very quiet, very organised, attentive, standing ovations often. They just like things when they're played well. Yeah, China were the most disruptive experience in my life. I quite like Japan. I do remember that when we were in Japan, I can't remember, 2018 before, which is also my first time in Japan. I remember it was October, so it must have been some kind of a flu season, cold season. There were a lot of people wearing masks in the audience already then, so they really care about the environment, atmosphere in the hall, so everyone's safe and healthy. So I quite actually like that. Simon, what are some of your observations of audiences abroad when you're on tour? The Far Eastern places I find are quite entertaining. And like I say, going back to all these taking photos, I mean, they do seem to take a lot of photos. And During the know, performance? They try to, wow. yeah. I suspect there's quite a few clips on YouTube and things Probably. of, of vi- videos. <laughs> That's one interesting thing, because technically you're not allowed to do that. Mm. I mean, photos aren't so bad, I guess, but video footage of 10 minutes of a concert or all of the concert. I mean, you can't really track them, but um, we, we know it happens. Wow. And it, that is the probably the single thing that frustrates me most, much more so than a sneeze or a cough, or, or they drop their mobile phone on the floor, or it's the videoing thing, when you can just see them holding the camera and yeah. videoing minutes and minutes, because it's off-putting to us. Talking about the videos, we had a concert in October in Spain, in Madrid or Barcelona, I can't remember now. But after that, on Instagram, I definitely phoned that someone had posted the Russian dance where the leader plays solo, entirely solo, Russian dance, um, Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. He had filmed it and he posted it on Instagram and tagged the orchestra and everything in there. (laughs) Luckily, the leader loved the recording, but, you know, might have been different as well. Exactly. I mean, when live performance things happen and what if it went public and you just didn't like one note there or something? Yes. I'm just going to be really crude and say we do actually get money if we get video performances. So, you know, we want our money. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about different audiences, I just remember Latvia. I have not played there for quite a while. I come from Latvia. There is an interesting habit. People always come to the concert with flowers. They actually bring you flowers to the performers, the soloists, conductors. At the end of performance, they would just come and give the flowers. Should we adopt that? I think so. Okay, like um, op- opera houses are the same, aren't they? Yes, they throw flowers on the stage. They do that. Yeah, yes. yeah. A very quick question to each of you. How do you listen to music? Do you go to concerts yourself? And 
How do you react to the people you're listening to on stage? Oh, I'm, I think I'm a really horrible audience, actually, as an audience member. I don't go to concerts very often, but I've been to quite a few, obviously, including LPO concerts sometimes. And yes, I mean, as a musician, I always find something to criticize, like for example, the acoustics or the, the strings don't sound loud enough or there is something missing or, you know, somebody's acting as if or they actually look as if they're really bored, for example. Sometimes you get some people who play a piece that they've played already for 50 times and they look very bored and you actually see that from the audience. And I feel like I never want to do that. I never want to look like that. You know? It's true. Always working. Lee, yeah. how um, do you consume music? Are you able to switch off? Yeah, actually, I really love going to concerts. And I'm the opposite of Lazmar in a way. I think everyone sounds brilliant. <laughs> and I just sit there thinking how good they sound. And then I try and listen to the composer more. I, it's almost irrelevant who's playing, which sounds terrible. And then I always think everyone sounds so good, especially, you know, orchestras in London, the phenomenal standard. So we go to concerts a lot. Great. Quite a lot. And how about you, Simon? Are you able to switch um, off? Are you always the musician? No, I, I am. I mean, you're always the musician. I, I don't know that many people who actually sit on that platform and then go to a concert aren't going to, you know, if Busman's Holiday, you can't really get away from it. I mean, I would much sooner go to a concert live than sit at home and think, oh, I might just stick Sibelius 5 on. <laughs> yeah, true. Because I'll probably get distracted by wanting a cup of tea or I haven't done the washing up or something, most likely. <laughs> um but, you know, I find that if I go to a concert, and especially if it's an orchestra that I know, and if it's LPO, obviously I know everyone, but you know, if you go and see other orchestras in London, for example, you know, you know so many of those people and you're just fascinated by, yes, the music making. I wouldn't necessarily go to a concert of music that I don't favour so much. I'd certainly go and see stuff that's going to make me go, way. And then seeing seeing your colleagues and stuff. But like Lee says, I mean, I think the standard's incredible when you sit there and I... I if anything, it makes me panic. I think, oh, my God. Go, go and practice. Well, thank you all so much for sharing uh, your experiences, your stories, some that I will never forget, I think, and your preferences as well on what makes a good audience. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. In fact, that's it for this season. Thank you so much to Lee, Simon and Lesma for sharing your thoughts on audiences today. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thanks so much for listening. 